We'll now ask the Lord for illumination as I read the scripture. Father God, open your word to us. Jesus, fill us with grace to hear, to hear truth, to hear the hope of the gospel, that we might leave today refreshed and renewed in our faith and trust in you. Holy Spirit, teach us as is your way to hear and to follow. Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 80. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine, that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine, that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade and its mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire, and they have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine, that we may be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Should we answer God? How? Why? When? One of my... um, favorite books on the Psalms by Eugene Peterson. It's called Answering God. Because that's what the Psalms teach us how to do. It's what they model. And while they'll make us very uncomfortable if we're paying attention to them, we know that they connect us to a longing that we have, which is to be in full relationship, which means to be fully honest with God about what it's like to be us in the world. And I say us on purpose because the Psalms are individual and communal. 
While the life of faith is a very personal matter, it is not a private matter. And one of the unsettling gifts of spiritual community is to learn to be sad together and to be angry together and to be joyful together. Maybe that one's not as uncomfortable. For some of us, we're not good at happiness. I'm terrible at receiving gifts. One of the lovely, lovely provisions of God is not only that we can be or or even encouraged to be straightforward with him, but we can do so near our spiritual friends. The Psalms encourage us in all seasons to be honest with God. With all of our emotions. There's an old monkish way of reading the Psalms. I'll talk about it a little bit more in a minute, but it's to take the day of the month that it is to read that Psalm, to add 30, add 30, add 30, add 30. And you end up reading five Psalms and over the course of the month, you'll read all of them. The reason I bring it up here is if you do that, every emotion in a broad sense available to a human will come up in that way of reading the Psalms as a prayer, sometimes an individual prayer, more often as a group prayer. And they're much more gritty prayers than most of ours, mine included, individually and corporately. I went through a season where I was in a lot of hospital waiting rooms. And I always wanted there to be a book of the Psalms. And sometimes I would buy one and bring it with me when I remembered, planned ahead of time. Got a little cost prohibitive because I started one of like the leather ones, you know. The reason is... That is the book that someone in a waiting room can pick up and open and pretty quickly connect with as far as the human experience. In this psalm, the writer begins with three requests that make a sandwich around the promises of God. Give ear, O shepherd, You who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. So give ear, stir up your might and come to save us. In the middle of these promises of who God says that he was, says that he is to the followers of God. Give ear, stir up your might, come to save us. And we can talk about Uh, the situation of the people of God, but as uh, Bonnie preached last week, that's not what the wisdom literature is about. The entire rest of the Old Testament very much situates the people of God within history and their interactions with God and vice versa. The wisdom literature of the Bible, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, are about the people of God in every time and place as they learn to relate to him in light of suffering, prayer, Wisdom, doubt, and love. That was her summary. I thought it was fantastic. She apparently got it from a pretty basic commentary that I had not happened to read. I thought it was a terrific summary. What are your requests? What is your version of give ear, God? And you can theology yourself out of asking God that, and that would be ironic and sad to remember that God doesn't sleep, to remember that God is never not listening, to remember that he's always attentive to us, is to miss the opportunity as a human to express to him it feels like 
You're not paying attention. Stir up your might. Come to save us. What changes in your prayer life when you're, when you're amped up about something, you know? Your energy's high. I feel like my prayers are shorter than. Like, Lord! And I'm working on praying more like a psalmist in those moments. When I'm down, I typically neglect prayer, which is something I'm working on. Medium, I'm actually better able to do this, you know, when I'm kind of having a, a straightforward day. What about you? Your prayers changed when you're changed when your energy is up or down. I think the psalmist is is amped up, and some are really not. When the psalmist writes, "Darkest darkness is my closest friend," I think that's just above a whisper in Psalm eighty-eight. The Psalms teach us to lay all of our emotions at the foot of God where they belong. Did you see Inside Out? Remember that movie, Pixar? Mad, sad, glad, afraid, and disgust, right? Those are the emotions. I say that because when I do premarital counseling, we, we talk about how did you learn to do the emotions in the different places of your life. And one of the people that I counseled said, you can't do mad, sad, glad, afraid. They have to rhyme, so now I say afraid. I don't know if it works or not. <laughs> All those emotions are to be found in the Psalms because they're modeling and leading us towards a humanity where we set the experience of the with God life at the foot of God, knowing that he takes it seriously. The Psalms teach humanity among trouble and enemies. It starts with a refrain that will happen two more times. Restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved, which is such a direct and then metaphorical request that God show up Saved from what and into what? This is uh, almost this is a post-exilic psalm. So the nation of Israel is aware that their theocracy broke down hundreds of years ago. Then their uh, theocratic monarchy broke down, and they suffered horrifically. Now they're in, entering the second temple era, and they want God to show up and. Give them a full sense that he is still with them. I really like verse 4. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? I mentioned before several ongoing conversations with people that are not followers of Christ yet. And one of them, two of them have asked many times, like how can all of this be the word of God? Well, this isn't God talking, right? And yet it's still the word of God. O Lord God of hosts, verse 5. Sorry, verse four. How long will you be angry with your people's prayers? And we have multiple times that this happens in the nation of Israel, but this is not the point of verse four of Psalm 80. The point of this is how do God's people answer him after being exiled, after suffering terribly? It seems that he's angry. And then the psalmist is very angry about, uh, or is very, is very sad, expresses, you have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink 
in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. I was thinking of all of our students who are going to return to school in a few weeks. I remember being laughed at in seventh grade. Junior high was rough. And the teachings of Jesus about forgiveness and about non-retaliation are essential. But what do we do with the emotions? Anybody see Oppenheimer? Really aggressive retaliation to a teacher move. Early on in the movie, it's not a spoiler. It's a movie about something else. If you're not familiar with Oppenheimer. But there's an early on, like, I'm mad at this teacher. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. You're going to have that desire within a week or two with a teacher or with a fellow student. And Jesus' teachings are clear, but what do we do with the emotions? God, why have you made us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves? Other psalmists are a little more aggressive about this. You know, break their teeth kind of stuff. Curse them. Now, is God going to accidentally do that because you prayed it? No. Is it good for us, for our hearts and minds, to lay before him what we would kind of instinctively do as we lean in and trust him to not retaliate towards that kid or teacher or for teachers to a student, for even more importantly, because you'd lose your job in addition to sinning. One thing about the Psalms that is lovely, how often tears are referenced. Some of us don't connect well to our tears because of how our life has gone. But as God matures us in responding to him about all of life, for many of us that will loosen those tears. And they'll be part of our prayers. The Psalms teach humanity amongst trouble and enemies with promises and questions. You brought a vine out of Egypt. This is a consistent biblical imagery for God planting the nation of Israel where it was. And uh, an, an image that is used by Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then Jesus in John chapter 15 for his own purposes, but also reflecting this. What were they supposed to do as a vine? Provide shade and sustenance for the neighbors around them. The psalmist is reflecting what happened. And then lamenting that it is no longer able to act the way that it used to under the theocratic monarchy and the theocracy before it. I don't say that to impress you. I say that because this psalm is part of a long history of God's people. And it is good to remember that for thousands of years, people have taken up the Psalms and learned to pray by simply praying them and letting them pray us. What I mean by that is when you encounter an angry Psalm, you don't feel particularly angry, but as you pray it, you might realize there's some anger in you and it's good to put that at the doorstep of God. You might not feel particularly sad or joyful when you begin to pray a Psalm. And yet for me, especially that's going slow when I go slow with the Psalms. 
and I'm more aware of these things inside of me and lay them at the feet of God. This is very rough imagery in verses 12 and 13. Why then, after recounting all of how God rescued Israel in 9 through 11 and 12 and 13, why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forage ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. I was trying to think of how to imagine this for us. We can't because uh, the connection for Israel between the church, the worshiping community was part of the geography. So it's, ju- it's the fruit of the land and their worship at the same time. If millwrights happened to be at our church, we'd be very thankful for that. But then if 10 years later it was decimated and we saw animals ravaging what's left of the restaurant plus the church, very imperfect analogy, but... Verses 12 and 13 are so sad if you understand what Israel had with their land that was connected to what God had given them, with the temple and God's presence there, and the purpose that had been lost through their exile as far as they could tell it. So that all who pass along pluck its fruit but not recognizing who it's supposed to be. Verses 10 and 11 actually give a a description of what God's people are uniquely designed for. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. God's people are to be a rooted blessing where they find themselves. And even though this is part of a lament, it's also part of the hope of God's people, which is that God will restore that. And this is where the psalmist begins to give end times pictures of God's temple. If you read Ezekiel, there's a long description after Jesus returns of the temple and the water flowing from it, fresh water flowing into the oceans. I think this is a reference to that, which is a very interesting, hopeful picture of a lamenting people. This is a communal lament, a communal complaint, a group crying out, which is actually part of how we hope. To be sad and complain is actually an act of resistance to a world that doesn't believe in hope. It's actually an act of profound faith, trusting God to give us not only knowledge of hope, but a sense and comfort of it. with our promises and questions and trust in the Son. Verses 14 through 19 have an increasing hope. And you see this a great deal. I'm noticing what, what what we spent this summer and last summer doing is looking at the books of the Bible one at a time. And I'm preaching on Psalm 80 as a way of understanding the Psalms as a whole. And in studying this season, this long season, about 400 years for the people of God between the exile and Jesus' return, you'll see an increasing hope in the sending of Jesus, alluded to here more explicitly in Isaiah. But before that, the writer says, turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see 
have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. The writer, without knowing it, is giving a poetic, through the lens of communal lament, prophecy about Jesus, who is their hope. Though their picture of it was pretty imperfect. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. Meaning the other enemies, have, the, enemy, the actual enemies of Israel have cut down that vine. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man, whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. And then one more time the refrain, restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. If we rate the expectations of the psalm of the writer of Psalm 80, Asaph, I think he's pretty full of expectation. That's another thing for us to indirectly notice and let it teach and mature us. Friends, we are to expect from God. We are to ask. We will ask him perfectly. We are to ask boldly and to expect that he will show up. When you pray, what do you expect? Circumstantially. What do you expect for yourself? At this point, because I've been praying for a long time, I expect to feel a little more settled in my mind and in my emotions. Which is why it's ridiculous that I don't pray more than I do. Give us life. Is the expectation of Asaph. Even in the ruins of his country with no king, he still prays with that expectation and hope. For us, the expectation is, uh, or not the expectation, the hope is more clear than it was for Asaph. It is in Jesus, who is the true vine, John 15, and in whose salvation and hope and peace and guidance we rest in and trust. Would you pray with me? God, would you free us into this kind of honesty and hope before you. Jesus, we trust you. Would you enable and energize us to trust you easily this week and when we do not to repent. Holy Spirit, we believe you indwell us. Give us that comforting sense of your indwelling. Amen.